as entrepreneurs, we all want to build businesses that make a huge difference. We want to go out there, create tremendous value, and realize tremendous value. Many of us want to go full cycle in our business. Well, today I've got a remarkable entrepreneur who's helped me go full cycle. And he's done some amazing things. I sold a business with two partners, a couple billion dollars in assets under management. We were very successful in Silicon Valley. And the next entrepreneur, I had the privilege of hiring him very junior, and he's continued to run it and built it up to an extremely successful firm with over $13 billion in assets. You're gonna get a 2-4 in this uh, podcast. The very first is you're gonna learn from an extremely successful entrepreneur, but second, you're also gonna understand even more how you can make smart decisions about your money. Stay tuned, you don't wanna miss any of this. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep, think bold, drive hard, watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com Today we are with a very good friend and a super successful entrepreneur, Alex Potts. Alex, thank you for joining us today. Hey, John, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate this. It's fun. Well, it's, it's kind of fun. I mean, we're both, we're not that far away, but we're together on Skype virtually here. And, you know, I wanted to share, you and I were together not that long ago for a month or so ago for the 25 year anniversary of the company that my partners and I started, but you've taken and really run with it. And I just, I was so excited and I want to have you share some of the lessons learned along the way with our audience. But, you know, before I do that, Alex, maybe you know, from your perspective, give a little bit of the backstory of, you know, how you got started and where you are today. Yeah, you got it. So so if if you go all the way back at at about uh, 11 years old. I so I grew up in Silicon Valley uh, in the city of Sunnyvale, and grew up in in a pretty dysfunctional family. I had a um, had a mom and dad that got divorced when I was 11 years old. Um, probably should have divorced earlier than 11. And my mom ended up bringing up my brother, who's older than I am, and myself, and uh, and somehow managed to keep her house, live in the Bay Area, all on a elementary school teacher's salary. So, I have this vivid memory: 13 years old, sitting at the kitchen counter, uh, balancing her checkbook. I wanted a pair of Adidas tobacco shoes. I wanted to stop wearing the Converse uh, Chuck Taylors, and um, she said, "You know what? I can't afford them." I want you to balance the checkbook. And I remember balancing it and thinking like, holy cow, there's there's nothing left here. So my option was, A, she was going to pay that, you know, 13 bucks for the Chuck Taylors or she would kick in 13 and I would go mow a bunch of lawns, clean windows, do whatever I could and then pay the remainder to get these shoes. Uh, money was always interesting for me at that time. Understanding how it actually worked, affected lives, made a big um, made a big impact for me. Um, I wanted, I like helping people. Um, long story short, ended up going to Santa Clara University, had a, an incredible advisor, Hirsch Sheffrin, who I'm lucky enough today to still say I work with him. Uh, he is a professor at Santa Clara, teaches behavioral finance, also Mayor Statman, 
had some really neat role models. In uh, 1987, I worked for a financial planner who worked for a little company, Reinhardt, Werba, and Bowen. Um, many of you will recognize the last name in there. And I, uh, I, I mean, it kind of caught fire at that point. Like I, I was really interested in what was going on. Um, but it wasn't until 1989, I believe, I, I came in for an interview. I was tipped off that this, this, there was going to be this little money management uh, division of, of Reinhardt, Werba Bowen that would be set up. And, and John, you, you may not remember this like I do, but when I came in in the interview um, with a big head of hair um, and a very little bit of experience, but kind of an, 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 maybe an adaptive intelligence um, I was sitting across the desk from you and said, hey, can you build a portfolio? Can you use this software tool? And I said, yes. And you said you stood up and you walked around the desk and you said, I want you to come over here and I want you to build me a portfolio. So that was a um, that was an incredible lesson. It was very it wasn't so subtle, but it was terrific. Like you, it was for me a great learning experience for you. You're basically either a calling BS or you're saying, all right, kid, show me what you can do. And um Luckily, I was able to navigate my way around that software. But what, but what was happening at that time, and um, I, I give you the credit for this idea of intelligently building a portfolio in the best interest of an individual, having liquidity, transparency, taking all of this research that was out there at the time in academia, which at the time there was a little bit, but not a ton, um, was, was really cool. Like you knew in the pit of the stomach, we were trying to do what was in the best interest of investors period. And for, to help an advisor build a business around that was really revolutionary. No, nobody was doing that or very, very few people were doing that. Um, well, as we continued to grow, um, uh, along more and more advisors started mm -hmm. becoming interested in what we were doing. So, for me, I was able to kind of just step back and and there was a lot of on the job learning, like with any entrepreneur, it's, it's, uh, those who kind of have an adaptive intelligence and can fail and, and um, succeed and, and do all of these things, but make course corrections on the fly gives you a huge advantage. Um, I, I, I look at how, why, why this actually mattered. You know, it was interesting thinking about when my mom I remember sitting at the table. So after I was working for this financial planner at 18 years old, I remember her coming home, being sold a product. I won't name the name, but it was a variable annuity inside of a 403B. And just ethically, once I knew really what it was, I just thought how awful that was that there was somebody out there just pitching a product when all of this research was out there, all of this information of how to do the right thing for individuals came up and it wasn't being done and it was affecting me personally and affecting my mom. Needless to say, she's no longer in that crappy product. You know, not only was it a crappy product, it was an expensive product that, you know, one of the things you and I are both passionate about is helping, you know, everyone, but in particularly here today, our fellow entrepreneurs, make smart decisions about their money. And, you know, I wanted, I, I said in the intro, Alex, that we'd have a two, four. So I, I want to start on the, uh, you know, you've built a, a great business. You're, you've, you're very good at the adaptive learning and bringing together the team, not only internally, but externally to add value. But I want to start first, just on the investment side, from your perspective, uh, you know, we've been on this journey, uh, you've taken it and continued. 
you know, how how can investors make smart decisions about their money based on, you know, the research of today? So, so a couple of things. Um, there's an amazing breadth of research that's out there. So there's two types of research, right? One where the financial industry is actually producing, another where academia is actually producing. And I look at it, I look at it, um, you know, maybe from a medical perspective where if I'm a doctor, I would probably trust, um, you know, Stanford University or the Mayo Clinic research more than I would trust Pfizer or Merck's research. Um, one, because I'm getting unbiased information coming in uh, and and it's acting in the best interest of the science of, of how you do things. And this really holds true in the investment world. Not surprisingly, if you look at a lot of investment company research, it's very much biased toward the products that they're that they're offering. Um, right now, academia is flushed with information. If if somebody had the inclination, they could go on to SSRN.com and they could research pretty much a paper on any topic that they want from some of the leading academics and some not so good academics in the world. But they could come up with some information on how to build a portfolio. There's, I think, 50,000 types of products in the U.S., that are out there for individual investors to buy. But if you distill it all the way down to the most simple concept, it was actually the Nobel Prize in Economics in 1990 that was awarded to three people. That still really holds true to this day. And there, there are intelligent ways to build a portfolio and to keep it diversified. Um, that, that maybe the science of it, not quite rocket science, but but the mathematics behind it, the rigor behind it, um, the validity that it holds to this day still holds true. But but we look at, you can actually build the best portfolio in the world, but if an individual can't stay invested, so if you're an entrepreneur and you've saved your life, you've saved for your life savings, you've been putting money into your business, into your savings, trying to accumulate for retirement, one of the biggest issues we find is investors become their own worst enemy. They'll, they'll listen to Fox News or Kramer or, or you know, driving home, listening to NPR, even listening to Marketplace, talking about what the market did today and that. And I, I kind of equate that to driving home. And if I pulled up in my driveway every night and I saw the price of my house on my garage door, what the behavioral effect of that would be. Like, that would be pretty stressful. In the Bay Area, eh, not so stressful. I mean, prices have fortunately gone up. Um, However, there have been price fluctuations, and I don't know what that would be like if I saw intraday trading on my garage door. That would probably be stressful. So there's kind of a beauty to just tr trusting in the markets and trusting in these amazing companies that people buy um, or that you can buy today. So anybody that's listening to this podcast can own you know, 10,000, 12,000 companies across the globe in a completely diversified portfolio, if you can if you can keep that invested, or if you can't, or if you don't have the discipline, hire an advisor to help you do that and think through what are the big issues in your life that really matter. Because the investment problem is generally solved. It's actually the investor problem that's a, that's really the divergent one that needs solving. Well, and it's it's so funny as entrepreneurs, it's it's easy for us. You know, we believe in the capitalism. And we're out there where, you know, we have trust that if we create value and get it out there that, you know, we will do well by doing well by others. And it does work and it works over and over again. 
but we take such specific risk in our business where we could, by diversifying outside using what you're talking about, Alex, really, um, you know, make sure that we have the money. You know, one of the things separating money outside of not having 100% in our business because stuff happens can really ensure whether, you know, I've got more and more of my entrepreneurial friends who say they're never gonna retire. Well, you may never retire, but you may not have the same intensity. You wanna have the financial options to do whatever, and then life tends to intrude. And what I love about what we're talking about, Alex, is that, you know, being successful on purpose, the, this whole concept of all the research out there, there's tremendous research, there was a time, yeah, I mean, actually, when we first started getting together, it was just, it really, it was just starting to happen. But, you know, most of the major investment challenges are addressed now, but we as individuals don't necessarily know how to do it and how not only to do it, but to stay invested. And this is where a financial advisor can make a huge difference. Right. What, you know what we find interesting is so from an entrepreneurial and individual business owners, there's there's such a maybe in some instances, um, their businesses become unpredictable. And there's this there's this want to try to control other parts of their lives, whether that's their kids, their spouse, their money, et cetera. And it's interesting with, with money, um, that idea of controlling where the markets are going to go or even controlling the markets is something that's that's really out of our hands. There's, there's, there's just uh, hundreds of different risks and risks that we don't even know about today. What's interesting, though, is the way great investors actually perceive risk. Um, I've had this incredible opportunity to work with some of the leading academics in the world. And I've asked them that question, like in 2009, in March of 2009, when the markets were really going down, what was going through your head? And almost to a person, they first thought, yeah, it was a little bit stressful, but I, I was buying in. And every one of them saw that risk is actually there, there's a there's an inverse relationship, right? And you you are you are one of these, and it's I, I don't want to say it's an inside secret to our business, but there's an understanding that with a high degree of risk and uncertainty, there's a higher expected return, and that, that that's a very profound thing for people to get their arms around. As entrepreneurs listening to this, everybody will get that by taking this incredible amount of risk you expect a higher return for your investment. Everybody listening to this could be working at McDonald's, shoveling hamburgers, making minimum wage, but you're choosing not to do that. You're choosing to take risk, help people in a more meaningful way, and for that, you're going to get a higher return. The markets work exactly the same way, and um, it's, it's, it's something that when things get really bad, that's actually when you see the best investors stepping up. Somebody's on the buy side when when the markets were going down. There, there weren't any shares that were unclaimed. No, and this is where, I mean, one of the things, having a plan ahead of time to deal with it. I, I was with some of the same people you were in 2009, and I was with a few billionaires, and I'll never forget uh, sitting down with them. Uh, during that period, and yeah, and everyone was concerned. I mean, I was mentioning I was getting up in the middle of the night to check to see if the world was still existing with the Asian market during the worst March 2009, and they were doing the same thing, and we were kind of joking about it. But each of us were adding money, you know, proportionally to our wealth, and it's 
it's that very nature of the ability to diversify in capital markets around the world that we can really capture value over the long term. It's not, you know, the next week, the next, it's got to be, you know, I always believe five years minimum uh, type thing. But, you know, this is, this is so powerful. But I, I want to go switch over to the entrepreneurial side now too, Alex. And, and one of the things that, um, you know, you and I had the privilege of working together for many years. I ended up when we sold, I stayed for the earth out, then left and started, you know, a bunch of companies now that I'm doing, including what we're doing today. Uh, you, you had an interesting journey along the way from there too. You took a leadership role and maybe just share, cause you know, it's one of the things when you, you know, businesses get sold, stuff happens too. And, uh, describe a little of that and then how it ended up in some of the lessons learned. Right. So, so what ended up happening in the business, right? So it started really April, our, the core investment advisory business started April of 1990. Um, and, and the business had obviously been going for a long time prior, but really the reinvention of the business was at that time. And it was in 1998, the company was sold to uh, a Canadian firm. And, and that was a really interesting experience. So all of a sudden you go from being a very small firm where it's effectively one person uh, running the operational side of the business and and three people kind of managing the marketing, the sales, the, I mean, everything else, the accounting. Um, then all of a sudden, now you have hundreds of people in there, kind of a larger, larger company mentality. You have transfer pricing, you know, if you're spending time in somebody else's department, you got to account for it. It was really interesting. It was a huge shift. Um, and I looked at it, it, it was it was tricky being coming in as an employee, but but the core purpose of what we were doing actually remained constant. We were still helping individuals, helping financial advisors help individual clients. And that made it that made the transition very purposeful. So I think I think as an employee, having that focus and, and rallying around that kind of created an immunity to all of the other stuff, the politics, the the crap that goes on when when you get an acquisition and and things are happening. So I, I would say from a from an employee standpoint, insulating yourself and really focusing on that core purpose was 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 critically important. Um, in 1999, I was tapped to run this division and I looked at it. We had a really scalable business. There was something that what we could do is we could provide service in a much different way to advisors and they could provide a different level of service to their clients. They didn't have to worry about a lot of the administrative tasks and then even, even the more complex tasks around the portfolio management. What they could do is really focus deeply on the client problems. Um, that, that actually started really translating through that period of time. I mean, from 99 until 2005, I mean, the company grew from effectively you know, a billion, I think it was almost 2 billion when it was sold or over 2 billion, it, it went up to about 5 billion pretty quickly. And um, all that time I was losing my hair, as you well know, um, it was stressful, but it was really a blast because what really the end result was, yeah, assets under management were coming on. The business model was established where it was a profitable business model, but the value we were providing to the end clients was going up exponentially and from a technology standpoint from a staffing standpoint we were hiring people that were so much better than i was on the operational and service part of the business i had this 
incredible attention to detail that had the passion around it. And for me, relinquishing that control, like I, I have an ego like anybody, but when you see somebody who has more talent than you do, that's, that's the epitome of what you want. You want, you know, this is cliche. You want to hire people that are smarter than you, that are better than you, but it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. And the good news for me, that was pretty easy to do. And, um, we have, we now have, I think there's 110 people here working with the core focus of serving these financial advisors who serve the family. And we never, we didn't spend much time counting the money. It was always about, let's figure out how we do the right thing for our clients and for those advisors and their clients. How do we keep doing that? All the while ensuring that the business model was set up appropriately to be able to serve them in the way that we could. By taking that lens, of not focusing around the money again and focusing on the purpose made it made it so much easier for everybody in the company to kind of withstand change. And I would say for anybody going through any type of major change, be sure you have that one rallying cry that you throw that stake in the ground that people deeply understand the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing. And whether, whether that's something small or something big, um, rally around that purpose. People are there for, for a lot more than money. Yeah, and, and Alex, you've done a great job on, you know, let's call it clarity of purpose, that big why. And, you know, one of the things though that I think uh, is a lesson that is really for all of us as entrepreneurs, I mean, it's, it's relatively easy to get a million dollars of revenue. I mean, once you got an idea that's working and so on, it's a little hard to get it started, but once it's working a million and, and an individual with a small team could easily do that, get a little more professional team with a, you know, a charismatic or a hard driven entrepreneur, you can get it up to about 5 million, but you know, then breaking through and there's 27 million businesses in the U S today and almost none break it through 5 million. And when we go to 50 million, it's, I think it's 17,000 are at 50 million and you've just been able to scale up and you've kept the purpose. You know, I, I have, I'm still an investor with you. Uh, my, uh, uh, you know, there's so many advisors I know that are working with you and they love it. And, you know, how do you, you know, helping fellow entrepreneurs, not just specifically to the investment world, but scaling up, keeping that purpose, bringing the group. I mean, you recently just moved into some new offices and you're scaling up for even more to be able to serve and really make a difference for a lot of lives. Right. So I think the first thing, um, and I would say this about money too, there's a saying that always resonated with me that made me laugh. And it's, um, you know, money's like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the less you have. And um, I think business is a lot like that too. We see, so we have this neat opportunity to watch a whole bunch of advisors, individual entrepreneurs build their businesses. Some are wildly successful, way beyond what they ever imagined. Others perpetually just can't get over the hump. Um, what we find, though, the ones that the ones that are the most successful have very clear purpose in what they're doing, and they stay out of their own way. Um, so, kind of taking that analogy, I think in many ways business is like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the less you have. Um, the reason that that if you look in larger businesses, if I, if I focus the camera over to my right, Adobe's headquarters are right over my right shoulder here. And um, if you think about the divisions of labor that they've had to create to, in order to get this software out to individuals, 
it took a lot of trust to be able to relinquish this power over and over again from the financials to the design to the product to the sales. And if you think about that for a minute and you step back as an owner of a business, I think the main job, one, is focusing on the core purpose of that business and two, figuring out how to find people that can actually execute those areas of the business better than you. If you can find that, it then allows you to scale up that purpose to a much different level. And I, I would say to a person in our company, everybody that sits in the seat within the company is much better than I would be at any of those areas from marketing, from sales, to finance, to accounting, to, you know, facilities, everybody is better than what I would be. What I look at is if I can throw gas on the fire, if I can keep them motivated and keep them going, rallying around this purpose of helping the advisors, there, uh, there's, there's no reason why we shouldn't slow down. Um, our marketplace is big enough. Now, some have limited marketplaces. Again, that's something that you want to understand. If you're in a limited marketplace, I think that realization is really important to take a look at that. Um, in, in our marketplace, it's it's just gigantic. There are way too many people that need really good help. And I could, we could be doing this for the next 20 years and still not serve more than 2 or 3% of the overall population. And that's kind of a great place to be in a business model. But I, I, the scaling... We didn't think about it when we were at, you know, five million of revenue or 10 million or even 20 million of revenue. It was just let's solve this problem. There are more people that need help. Let's keep solving the problem. Let's keep finding better people to solve it. And, and I had to get out of the way. I, I, I had to get out of the way. If I got in the way, it would just slow things down. No, and it's and I mean, I think this is where that clarity of purpose is so powerful, because, you know, there, as you said there, uh, unfortunately, you and I know. The, the statistics that so many people of, of wealth, you know, we read in the paper all the time, there's all kinds of studies out there who are making poor decisions on their money as well as people without money. And, and you know, and one of the things that uh, we're all passionate about is doing that. You've kept that company in that direction. G give me an idea of scale, the number of advisors you're working with now and then you know, the, the families that they're working with to help them make smart decisions. Right. So there's um, there are about 2,400 people, 2,400 advisors who have entrusted us with somebody's life savings um, or a big part of their life savings. Uh, but like many businesses, we adhere to a Pareto principle. There are there are 20 percent that are the main drivers of our business. We have about 500 actively engaged advisors who fervently believe in what we believe in from the investment side and appreciate the value that we bring to them in their business. Um, all told, we serve about 50,000 families. Um, I, you know, people ask me, well, how big do you guys want to get? And I look at it saying, forget the assets. If we can serve a million families and do that really well, I'm really happy. And again, the money will follow if we do a great job and provide value to people. Um, that, that to me is good. And, and a million might be self-limiting someday. Hopefully I get to come back and say, yeah, you know what? We got to 5 million. And, but I feel so convicted in, in like, we just want to do the right thing for the advisors and for the individuals. When you see what a great advisor can do, it completely transcends the investment portfolio. Um, I, I actually think of a really neat anecdote of an advisor that you know, John, who worked with a, a very, very high net worth client, built 
his own business, extremely successful, sold one of his businesses in Japan for $120 million and figured out a way to transact that sale in a charitable trust where 100% of the proceeds are actually going to charities around the Bay Area that are just absolutely incredible charities. The client is delighted. The advisor is is obviously delighted because the client's getting a need fulfilled um, and these charities are off the charts happy. And it's it was a complex strategy, but to see somebody pile all of their life work into something and then have it turn into something really meaningful, um, it went way, way beyond the investments for that advisor. And, and stories like that that just, I mean, it's just I mean, a blast. The thing I think you and I both share, and, and I, it's really for you, you know, as you're listening or watching this podcast, uh, you know, as entrepreneurs, you know, we don't have to have, you know, $120 million transaction. We tend to talk about big numbers because we're financial guys, but we can't help ourselves. But, you know, it's even more important. We have lower numbers and, and there's just so many things that you can do, but we're so busy doing it, doing it, doing, you know, in our business that we neglect these. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, Alex, you remember we trademarked the personal CFO concept, the whole... Right. You know, the, you know, you're the CEO of your family business, you know, and by doing that, then, you know, whether you're earning a paycheck or in this case, all of us as entrepreneurs, we're, you know, we're writing our paychecks, uh, but we want to have somebody, we have, everybody has a CFO in their business. You got to have a personal CFO, make sure you're making smart decisions, whether it's a hundred million, whether it's a million, whatever it is. Alex, let me, I want to change a bit and let's go to a new segment. Uh, and this is the book of the day. Uh, yeah, what would your fellow entrepreneurs, what would you recommend that would be you know, a great book that touched you that would help them on this journey of scaling it up, accelerating their success? Right, right. There's actually there's actually two that I would think and I, I might even throw a third one out there um, that that impacted me. The first and foremost is uh, Victor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning. Um, Many, many of you may have read that book or understanding Frankel was a world famous psychiatrist, but actually was at 17 or 18 years old, unfortunately, was in a concentration camp and was observing what was happening in that camp, not only being a prisoner in that camp, but watching what was happening to other prisoners. It's a, it's a pretty short read, um, but one of the most powerful books you will ever read. And if, if you ever have an up moment in your life or a down moment in your life, this book really kind of helps explain um, kind of why it all matters or why it can matter, really focusing around purpose and understanding that purpose. Another one that's just an incredible read is The Fifth Discipline by Peter Senge. And uh, he wrote it in 1990. It's one of the all-time best-selling business books. What resonated with me is this idea of systems thinking and developing learning organizations. I... I, uh, I, I may suffer from ADD. I know I had ADHD as a kid. I like a whole bunch of different ideas and I like, I like learning a bunch of different things and then applying them. Um, Senge really kind of wraps his arms around a really cool archetype on how to do that and to think about it. The third one that probably every entrepreneur should read would be, uh, there's a book written by Bill Walsh's son. It's about Bill Walsh. It's an autobiography and it's called The, T the Score Takes Care of Itself. And um, there's a lot of really neat uh, allegories having to do with business in there. Bill Walsh, many of you will remember, is the coach of the 49ers and pioneered the West Coast offense. 
was just genius the way that he set up systems and had systems working for him. And um, I think all of those would be applicable for not only what I do, but what any entrepreneur would be doing. Uh, it's fantastic, Alex. And uh, I don't have, I you know, remember Bill, the book coming out, I forgot uh, what the son's name is. Uh, but I want to uh, say I want to say Pat, but I'm I'm not yeah, positive. Actually, Craig, I have Craig. Thank you. Yeah, and I just look at it. I did Googled it and put it up on the uh, uh, page here. And then for any of you who aren't, uh, if you're driving, don't try to write these down. If you're exercising, leave the weights up. You know, get the extra workout. Go to aesnation.com. We'll have all the show notes, the transcription, and all the links to everything Alex and I are talking about. But these are. Great books. The first two I've, I've read, I've read many times in uh, both, you know, phenomenal. Uh, and then, uh, and I, I will download after the end of the interview, uh, the, the Bill Walshwa, uh, Walshwa, the, the uh, score takes care of itself. But let's go to the next segment. And this is the app of the day. Alex, what, you know, on your smartphone, I know you travel uh you're, you're a pretty techy kind of guy too uh good user i think neither of us want to do, ever do programming but good user you know what would be one of the applications that you would recommend to your fellow entrepreneurs so i'm i'm a big podcast guy um and i've got two that are really all-time favorites or, or I, I should say three that i listen to regularly the first one is this american life um it's it's I think it's the most famous podcast in the U.S. Incredible stories on a whole bunch of different things. Actually, the Edward R. Murrow Award was awarded to them uh, in 2009 for the work they did on the mortgage-backed crisis issue. And um, for those for those interested in money, I would I would recommend a, a specific episode. I think it's number 423. It's called "The Invention of Money." It is absolutely a mind-blowing. Uh, podcast. It will change the way that you think about money, and it'll it'll unequivocally change the way you think about money, and and what also the Federal Reserve did. Now, again, I like I like economics, I like finance, but this, this podcast is totally approachable for anybody, and they only have a handful that are related to the business side, but great ideas. The other one is uh, the TED Radio Hour, which I just love. All, all kinds of different ideas. What uh, Guy Raz does on that show is he will he will kind of condense uh, different topics and have TED Talks that tie into it and have interviews. So typically three 20 minute segments. It's a one hour long podcast, but ranging from anything. Uh, there was one on champions and he had three different people that kind of had you know either the heart of champion or were champions. And what was their thinking? How do they go about doing things? Um, I, I so I'm out there like. I never know where the next great idea is going to come from. And in some ways, I search for those ideas. I'm aware when they happen or something that just might shape the way that I think about things. Um, and a third one from just a pure kind of science geek in me is I love Radiolab. And um, there's, a, there's a couple on Radiolab, again, that are just mind-blowing that I would recommend. And you can pull up any of the episodes. They're all really well-produced entertaining it's great airplane listening uh podcast yeah, podcast i mean obviously i'm a big believer in podcasts we're doing it here too but i i just i you know i kind of most of us started with podcasts uh listening to them i think in 2004 2003 and then it kind of disappeared and now just the quality has improved so much so it's phenomenal 
Let me go to the next segment, which is resources. And Alex, I'm going to bring up uh, the website, you know, loringward.com. And, you know, why don't you, for both, you know, financial advisors, entrepreneurs, uh, uh, what they might find on the website. I know you don't really work directly with investors, but you know what what resources for both. Right. You'll you'll see some uh, basic information on why we do what we do. What what we try to do on the website um, is put out some springboards to get you thinking about wh why that is. Um, and the irony of this, I would ask actually. Go to loringward.com in about a month and a half, and you'll see a, a new look and feel and more approachable, more for, as much for individual investors as we have for advisors. Um, we're big fans around the education. A couple of the videos have uh, not not quite hit the crazy viral status, but um, we, we did some videos really to help get some education out there, uh, some of them based off really cool academic work where we just tried to distill it, make it friendly, engaging, Keep it under about three minutes. Um, you'll see that on the website. We, uh, in terms of just educating, we we're big fans of that. We've had a neat opportunity to work with Harry Markowitz, who's one of the Nobel laureates. Um, we'll put work information out there as well, and uh, yeah, it's it's no, it's, it's out there, and it's it's actually we have a full redo of it. So. I'm kind of looking forward to see who all comes on later. Hopefully it's helpful yeah, to you. Yeah, no, it will be. Let me go to the uh, last segment, which is key takeaways. Uh, so I want to share, I took a whole bunch of notes. As a matter of fact, you know, sitting here and I got my notes and everything, and I'll do over-the-shoulder shot here so you can see. And and let me dive in. Uh, you know, some key things. One, you know, we, we said it was a 2-4 uh, investment. I mean, there's so much investment research. You need to make smart decisions about your money. Alex did the bifurcation of the academic and institutional. There's a lot of self, enlightened self-interest research done by the financial services industry or any industry, and you want to be careful of that. And you know, oftentimes the the, the academic can be much more independent. Although you got to be even in today's world, there can be funding that can influence that. But there, there's so much knowledge there. As entrepreneurs, we take so much specific risk in our business. Our ability to take advantage of the capital markets and use this research has never been better to protect ourselves so when things happen with our business, we are protected and we can continue and maybe even expand our business at these opportune. You know, second thing, adaptive learning. Uh, Alex has been, uh, you know, one of the leaders, and I'd like to believe I, I've done a lot on this too, is that, you know, there, there's so much in today's world that's available to us. And, you know, the, you know, kind of in Silicon Valley now, we talk about the pivot. Well, it's, it's really letting, you know, the marketplace tell us the, the lessons out there, the research, you know, taking all of that and inspiring our company to move for, forward. And, and number three is clarity of purpose, the vision, one of the things I, I love about what you've done, Alex, is taking and really it's not, you know, I mean, I, I do know that you're a financial guy, so we've got detailed financials and all that in the business, but it, it's really not about making more money. And I, I know that's sometimes hard to believe. It's a function of delivering tremendous value to the marketplace, to helping advisors in this case serve their clients well and it'll take care of itself, which it has. And then the fourth, the ability to scale up and really run with this has been amazing. So, I mean, a, a great job 
Now, one of the things that actually I want to recommend to everyone, you can go to the AS Nation and get the transcript of Alex and I going through. In addition, you'll see um, the ability to sign up to do your own personal wealth assessment, a wealth edge score. They'll take a look at kind of, you know, where you are now, where you want to go, both in your business, comparing you against the 27 million businesses, as well as on the personal side. And we just, uh, with Dan Sullivan and Joe Polish and a few other entrepreneurs, we studied 4,500 successful entrepreneurs and we are comparing you against them and more importantly, what you should do going forward. So Alex, I want to thank you. You, you are inspiring all of us to really accelerate our success so we can make a bigger impact. I'm going to encourage everybody again to go back, get the show notes, the transcription. There's so many pearls of, of wisdom here. Your clients, your future clients, all those strategic partners, they're counting on you. Don't let them down. Go make all this happen. Wish you the best of success. Exceptional, remarkable breakthroughs. AESNation.com.